Section 42 of Reviews by Oscar Wilde. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kirsten Ferreri. Reviews by Oscar Wilde. Edited by Robert Ross. Section 42. A New Book on Dickens. Pall Mall Gazette, March 31, 1887. Mr. Marzial's Dickens is a great improvement on the Longfellow and Coleridge of his predecessors. It is certainly a little sad to find our old friend, the manager of the Theatre Royal Portsmouth, appearing as Mr. Vincent Crumules, sick. But such misprints are not by any means uncommon in Mr. Walter Scott's publications, and on the whole this is a very pleasant book indeed. It is brightly and cleverly written admirably constructed, and gives a most vivid and graphic picture of that strange modern drama, the drama of Dickens's life. The earlier chapters are quite excellent, and though the story of the famous novelist's boyhood has been often told before, Mr. Marzial's shows that it can be told again without losing any of the charm of its interest, while the account of Dickens in the plenitude of his glory is most appreciative and genial. We are really brought close to the man with his indomitable energy, his extraordinary capacity for work, his high spirits, his fascinating tyrannous personality. The description of his method of reading is admirable, and the amazing stump campaign in America attains, in Mr. Marzial's hands, to the dignity of a mock heroic poem. One side of Dickens's character, however, is left almost entirely untouched, and yet it is one in every way deserving of close study. That Dickens should have felt bitterly toward his mother and father is quite explicable, but that, while feeling so bitterly, he should have caricatured them for the amusement of the public, with an evident delight in his own humor, has always seemed to us a most curious psychological problem. We are far from complaining that he did so. Good novelists are much rarer than good sons, and none of us would readily part with Micawber and Mrs. Nickleby. Still, the fact remains that a man who was affectionate and loving to his children, generous and warm-hearted to his friends, and whose books are the very bacchanalia of benevolence, pilloried his parents to make the groundlings laugh, and this fact every biographer of Dickens should face and, if possible, explain. As for Mr. Marzial's critical estimate of Dickens as a writer, he tells us quite frankly that he believes that Dickens at his best was one of the greatest masters of pathos who ever lived, a remark that seems to us an excellent example of what novelists call the fine courage of despair. Of course, no biographer of Dickens could say anything else just at present. A popular series is bound to express popular views, and cheap criticisms may be excused in cheap books. Besides, it is always open to everyone to accept G. H. Lewes's unfortunate maxim that any author who makes one cry possesses the gift of pathos, and indeed there is something very flattering in being told that one's own emotions are the ultimate test of literature. When Mr. Marzials discusses Dickens's power of drawing human nature, we are upon somewhat safer ground, and we cannot but admire the cleverness with which he passes over his hero's innumerable failures— for, in some respects, Dickens might be likened to those old sculptors of our Gothic cathedrals who could give form to the most fantastic fancy, and crowd with grotesque monsters a curious world of dreams, but saw little of the grace and dignity of the men and women among whom they lived, and whose art, lacking sanity, was therefore incomplete. Yet they at least knew the limitations of their art, while Dickens never knew the limitations of his— when he tries to be serious, he succeeds only in being dull. When he aims at truth, he reaches merely platitude. 
Shakespeare could place Ferdinand and Miranda by the side of Caliban, and life recognizes them all as her own. But Dickens's Mirandas are the young ladies out of a fashion book, and his Ferdinand's the walking gentlemen of an unsuccessful company of third-rate players. So little sanity, indeed, had Dickens's art that he was never able even to satirize. He could only caricature. And so little does Mr. Marzials realize where Dickens's true strength and weakness lie that he actually complains that Crookshanks's illustrations are too much exaggerated, and that he could never draw either a lady or a gentleman. The latter was hardly a disqualification for illustrating Dickens, as few such characters appear in his books, unless we are to regard Lord Frederick Verisoft and Sir Mulberry Hawk as valuable studies of high life, and for our own part we have always considered that the greatest injustice ever done to Dickens has been done by those who have tried to illustrate him seriously. In conclusion, Mr. Marzials expresses his belief that a century hence Dickens will be read as much as we now read Scott, and says rather prettily that as long as he is read, quote, there will be one gentle and humanizing influence, the more at work among men, end quote, which is always a useful tag to append to the life of any popular author. Remembering that of all forms of error prophecy is the most gratuitous, we will not take upon ourselves to decide the question of Dickens's immortality. If our descendants do not read him, they will miss a great source of amusement, and if they do, we hope they will not model their style upon his. Of this, however, there is but little danger, for no age ever borrows the slaying of its predecessor. As for the gentle and humanizing influence, this is taking Dickens just a little too seriously. Life of Charles Dickens by Frank T. Marzials Great Writers Series Walter Scott End of section 42 A New Book on Dickens